Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 166. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's show is sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's coming up on April 8th and 9th, 2019 at Moscone West in San Francisco. We've recently opened registration as well as speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com slash USA. We have a special guest on today's show. I am delighted to welcome the CEO and co-founder of Credit Karma, Ken Lin. Now, most people know Credit Karma. They really are the leaders in consumer financial information. And I wanted to get Ken on the show really to talk about how they're integrating today with the lending platforms, the credit card platforms, and how deep that integration is going. We also talk about customer acquisition costs and how companies can go about lowering that all-important number. Ken introduces us to the concept of autonomous finance, which I, I, I find particularly fascinating. You know, we talk about international expansion, we talk about a recent acquisition they did, and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ken. Great to be here. Okay, so I'd like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Obviously, you know, Credit Karma is a pretty high-profile company, but not everyone would know about your background. So tell us a little bit about what you did before you started Credit Karma. Sure. So my first job out of school was actually with a credit card issuer. So this is in the late 90s. And uh, Partners First was one of my first jobs. And there I actually worked on the underwriting and the marketing slash acquisition side of the business. So it really cut my teeth in understanding financial services space. And I, I think in the late 90s, you know, credit cards were probably one of the most sophisticated marketing channels out there. So we mm-hmm. did a lot of direct mail. We did a lot of one-to-one marketing and targeting. Went to a couple of uh, tech companies, really enjoyed that experience, but ultimately came back to finance in the form of U-Promise, which helped consumers save for their children's issues, as well as E-Loan, which had a business in mortgage, personal lending, and on auto finance. Um, It's through the combination of those experiences and a little bit of consulting work that I was doing with Prosper at the time that led me to Credit Karma. So it's basically been about you know, uh, 15, 20 years worth of digital marketing and financial services. Right, right. So then let's just talk about that. What what was the, what did you see? You said you're working with Prosper, but what did you see was, what was missing? What was the idea that led you to start Credit Karma? Yeah, so when I, so I, I had left Elon and I was working specifically with Prosper. And the thing that helped me was, you know, so Prosper was obviously a, you know, at the time, a, a P2P lending company, something known as Alt Lending now. But I was doing a lot of their digital marketing. And what struck me was that, um, you know, basically two-thirds of the marketing dollars were going uh, spent inefficiently. So, you know, the bottom one-third of consumers with low credit scores, you know, Prosper really couldn't underwrite. You couldn't get anyone to give loans at that credit range. And at the highest end of the spectrum, what you found is that those consumers could go to their credit unions or the banks and get, you know, equivalent or sometimes better rates. So as a result, really, it's the people in the middle that were the sweet spot of lending. And the other, you know, sort of the high credit and the low credit ended up being inefficient. And given that we were using a lot of search, given that we were using a lot of display and digital in general, 
there was no means by which you could actually find that right target demographic, right? And I remember, well, back in my credit card days at Partners First, you know, in the late 90s, we would have probably just done a credit credit pre-screen and eliminated all the high credit people and all the low credit people and looking for the right type of consumers. And that was the aha moment for me at Credit Karma. Now, it's kind of funny because subsequently a lot of the alt lenders, you know, uh, went back to direct mail because of that dynamic, that ability to to target exactly the customers that you wanted. So we went on a parallel path to trying to figure out how to build that in the digital ecosystem. And that ultimately was the impetus for Credit Karma with the idea that, wow, there was a, a platform that could actually, you know, screen the right lenders for every consumer, that would be a compelling user experience. And one that, you know, this was in 2006, 2007, you know, the internet had come so far, but one of the fundamental things around financial services still didn't exist. And we thought we could build that with Credit Karma. Right, right. So when did you sort of realize, because I mean that obviously now you've got, you've got tens of millions of users and everyone knows you, but, you know, obviously you started from scratch and, when did you realize that you had a business that this really had a lot of potential? What was sort of the, the tipping point for you? Oh gosh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I always, I, I always forget a little bit about the, you know, the big, the big progress when you look at it on a day to day basis because we've been doing this for about eleven years. Right. But my challenge is when when we probably got to a little north of ten million users and we were still, you know, really growing exponentially from a month to month basis. I think there was a real sense that there was a lot more than the credit scoring aspect of this. And there was a real need for consumers to understand more about the options that are available to them. So finding out your credit score is one aspect of why people use Credit Karma. What we realized along the way is that everyone who was using Credit Karma was in market for financial services, or not everyone, but a meaningful percentage. Uh, Another meaningful percentage of our users really needed uh, and were looking for independent advisor in this space in the sense that, you know, banks are great about sharing their products, but they're always going to promote their own products. Mm-hmm. So we found the confluence of those two items being the key driver of adoption and re-engagement over time. And I think the third dimension that we really observed was people were coming back on, you know, an inordinate amount, more than we would have anticipated from a month-to-month basis. And we realized that more and more that as we built out these products that Consumers were really looking for uh, again, you know, this 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 advisory or independence role when it came to their finances because Google didn't have enough contacts, and most of the blogs and most of the um, you know other financial services sites tend to be so generic that you know they were not necessarily applicable. Mm-hmm. And finance is one of those categories unless it speaks directly to you. And at the time, there weren't many. It just didn't. It just didn't have the appeal. And one of the things that we gravitated towards very early, because we know the consumer's financial profile, writing content, writing products and features uh, that were bespoke. And I think when we did that, we saw this level of engagement that we hadn't seen before. And I think that was the driver and the encouragement for us to build out new features that that were along uh, that vein. Right. Right. And so. You, I mean, I, I actually, I've personally had a Credit Karma account since 2011, and now I, I actually, you know, I log in, I log in every month because I just want to make sure that everything's still okay. That, you know, I, I check, you know, I don't, I, I want to see if there's a, 
you know, if there's anything on my credit report or anything that looks looks a little off. And I think that's where, you know, that, that's, I think, one of the great tools that Credit Karma has provided for, for many years. But I'm curious about right now, so you mentioned, you just mentioned it, like you're sort of going beyond just the, the credit score. So when you describe Credit Karma today, what are the kind of verticals, what are the kind of businesses that you're really in? Yeah, so it started with the credit score, the, the monitoring, you know, I think we added other features like protection, dark web, you know, direct dispute. So there, I think there are a lot of consumer-oriented features. But really, I think from a business perspective, you know, we started with helping consumers find the right credit card based on the credit profile all the way back to 2008. We launched personal loans, I think, probably in 2009 or 10. And now we're on the journey of auto loans and uh, mortgages. And the realization here is that all of these verticals work for us because consumers are looking for someone to help them navigate the complexity of their financial services life. Right. And when you look at the consumer internet space, you know, Google can only do so much, right? And when you look at the overall platforms, most of them have a unidimensional view on your financial life. And most of the time when they have that view, they're no, mostly promoting their own products. Mm-hmm. And I think with Credit Karma, we have a point of view that, you know, the players in Internet, um, you know, are not addressing this fundamental need for consumers to understand their finances. So for us, we think about, you know, everything on the asset side of a consumer's balance sheet, everything on the liability side of a consumer's balance sheet, and then insurance as sort of the hedge between the two. Those are the areas where consumers struggle the most, and we think that those are the areas that Credit Karma will continue to build products and continue to build a brand with a, a fundamental view that we can help consumers get into a better experience and uh, you know the best outcomes. Right, right. So then, is is credit card still your number one vertical today, or what? Where? How does it sort of? break down as to what you know on, on the revenue side maybe what is what is sort of what are your core the core business units you look at yeah i mean all the size of our verticals are actually relative to the number of years that we've been in so they you know go credit cards personal loans auto loans and now mortgages right and what we try to do is we try to build an ecosystem within each one of those and those all take time but you know at the end of the day we think that all of those are important aspects of consumer's financial life and i think you know, credit card specifically is one where it's not a considered purchase, right? There's always an opportunity to find uh, a better credit card, so to speak, no matter what you have in your wallet. If something right. comes along and you have the credit profile for it, it's easy to switch. Whereas, you know, as the mortgage rate is or an auto loan rate is, if I'm not in the market for a car, I'm not going to buy a home or, you know, a car. So I think those are the differentials in the space. But at the end of the day, we think about the fact that, you know, there's about $13 trillion worth of consumer debt uh, in just the United States alone. And there's an opportunity for us to help consumers find the very best option whenever they're in market. And really, that's the brand and the product set that we're establishing at Credit Karma. Right, right. Got it. So then, can you just explain for the listeners how exactly you make money? Because I know that, you know, you've, you, you have these recommendations, but what is the business model exactly? Yeah, so at Credit Karma, we've been around for, you know, 11 years. And in those 11 years, we've never charged a single one of our members. So our business model is pretty straightforward. We spend a lot of money buying data on behalf of our members. Our goal is to educate our membership base, build tools off of that data so they understand how the financial services systems work. Now, from a revenue-generating perspective, when we have a consumer's financial profile, 
we can obviously see how much uh, debt they have and at times how much assets. So, for example, we see a little bit more than $4 trillion worth of consumer debt today. And I'll give you a very simple example. If we saw a consumer who had an auto loan that they took out last year, and maybe they're paying 16% on that auto loan. When that consumer is paying 16%, we could say to that consumer, well, based on your credit profile, we think you're overpaying for that auto loan. Here are some partners you would consider. And before we actually show those partners, we're actually using uh, our cloud and compute infrastructure and AI to determine the, the, the probability of approval for the loans that we're going to show them. We only show them the highest probability ones. So we only show them loans that they're just completely not qualified for. So I'll say, well, that 16% loan can be refinanced at, let's say, 11%, you know, 10.5%, and 9%. Right. We'll share the math with the consumer. We'll try to streamline the process. And if that consumer decides to refinance that auto loan uh, with Credit Karma, you know, they'll save, let's say, $75 a month for the next 40 months. Our banking partners will get a new customer, and that, that customer acquisition cost might come from, you know, Facebook or Google or television today. And in exchange, they'll pay us a couple hundred dollars for that new customer. So everyone's kind of a winner in that situation with maybe the exception of the original lender who was charging the consumer too much. So that's how we create our revenue streams. It's always free to the consumer. Uh, and generally speaking, we are being paid by the financial services company only when they book a new loan. And we think that's important because we focus a lot on quality. We actually don't want consumers, you know, applying for products that they're not qualified for. We don't want consumers looking at loans that um, ultimately aren't going to be true in the form of credit limits or interest rates. Right. Got it. So I want to dig into that a little bit because I'm actually on your site right now. I'm in the personal loan section and it's I've got seven offers from Marcus, Prosper, Upstart, Citizens One, um, et cetera. And it says on each one of these, it said, you're pre-qualified. And it says, our partner says, you're pre-qualified. What does that actually mean? And, and is that, is that like a, a 90% certainty that, that I'm going to be qualified or what do you, what do you really mean when you say you're pre-qualified for a loan? Yeah. So that 90% is generally the standard that we like to work from. Um, now it'll vary a little bit depending on partner and depending on some of the interactions, but that's exactly right. What we're doing is we're actually looking at the credit requirements of our partners, uh, and then matching that up against the credit quality of each individual consumer. Now, there's going to be some things like, you know, credit score drift. There's going to be some things like income and ability to pay qualifications. You know, every once in a while, you're going to run into an OFAC or, or some sort of, you know, anti-mundering or regulatory mm-hmm. uh, constraint. But the idea, and, uh, the idea is that we're going to get closer and closer 100%. And that's our internal goal at Credit Karma is we believe that you know, this industry has been in this situation for too long. And this situation being where consumers don't have a certainty of approval. They don't have the transparency of pricing. And these forms are just way too long uh, in terms of the number of that are being asked. So we as a platform, as a business, are focused on fixing those three key tenets of lending. So we want to make sure over time that every offer in Credit Karma is pre-qualified or pre-approved and going to 100%. We want every consumer to know what the rate is going to be, what the credit limit is going to be in advance of them ever hitting the apply button. And when that consumer hits that apply button, we want that form to be one question, two questions, or ideally one or two consents. Mm-hmm. We think that's where this sector can go. And we are building out all those technology pieces and integrations with many financial services companies um, you know, as, 
as we think are qualified and, and want to innovate in the space. Right. So, so then how, how deeply do you get into, into that? Like, like there's, you know, I'm just, just, just take Prosper for an example here. I've got a, it says I'm pre-qualified for a $10,000 loan at 6.95%, 36 months. I mean, are you, are you sort of getting, I mean, are they giving you their credit model or how are they, are they just giving you, I mean, what, what, what I'm just trying to get at, what is the level of integration that you would have, say, with a prosper where you know that, that, that I'm pre-qualified? I mean, is it really, I'm taking it, it's more than just my, my credit score, right? I mean, how, how does it, how does it work as far as the integration goes? Yeah, so it varies by partner by partner, but you're exactly right, and it's a lot deeper than credit score. And I think that's one of the fundamental differences of credit karma relative to, you know, other players in the space that, you know, might have a similar model as ours. Mm-hmm. We are getting to the nuance of each credit lending decision. So, you know, I, what going which is no surprise to probably a lot of your listeners, is that credit decisions are based by dozens um, and at times hundreds of credit variables. Right. And for a lot of our partners, we're actually on that level. We're actually looking at each of the potential dozens and or hundred credit variables to determine eligibility. And that's how we actually can get the pricing. So you picked up on interesting notes, which is a lot of the times in direct mail for all lending, you know, I'll say you're pre-qualified for a loan up to $35,000 and it doesn't describe the APR. Well, we're talking about the specific dollar amount and the specific APR because we're actually looking at all of those variables of credit. Um, and it's just something, again, that is, uh, I think, a dysfunction in the space and a lack of innovation in financial services. We can actually bridge a lot of that uh, on the Credit Karma platform. Right. Got it. And then as far as, you know, going back from the platform perspective, customer acquisition costs uh, have been a hot topic for, you know, for many years. You know, there's, it's, it's obviously a very competitive space, the personal loan space today. It, you know, it wasn't so much, uh, you know, when you guys got started, but it certainly is today. And I'm curious about maybe, you know, you've got a great window onto this. How can platforms reduce their customer acquisition costs when they're working with Credit Karma? Yeah, I, I think there's a few ways, right? I, I think the first one is credit quality, obviously, right? So, for example, if you're approving 25% of the loans that are coming through and you're paying on a you know cost per uh, per application, well, if you you know get to 100%, you're obviously reducing you know you're reducing your your cost by your cost per acquisition by you know by by 75% or or more. And that's fundamentally important. Getting the right customer credit quality is one area that you can really gain efficiency and it's no different than you know the idea that we started from when we started credit karma and sort you know the story I shared about Prosper being being two thirds of their dollars are being inefficient. So I think that's certainly one. I think she was actually reducing the friction of application itself, right? I think that when we look at the space, you know, more and more applications are mobile oriented. Uh, we see 80% of our traffic coming from a mobile demographic. And when you're asking consumers to fill out 40 questions, 50 questions through their phone, you get a lot of fall off. And nice. I think enabling technologies to improve that, uh, you know, we have uh, what, what we call Quick Apply, which is the ability to, you know, to fill out that application and giving Credit Karma permission to fill out that application on your behalf is an important implementation. And we see meaningful improvements there. And then I think the last piece is a lot of the transparency pieces, right? I think consumers really dislike the notion that, well, I'm going to apply for a product, but you won't actually tell me the specifics of the product until I spend all that time. I mean, 
you know, imagine if you were to walk in the store, uh, you know, like a big box retailer, and they didn't tell you the price of the item that you're interested in until you filled out 30, 40 questions. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. And I think the more of that um, lenders can, can improve and innovate and disrupt, I think the better off they'll be in terms of acquiring qual- high-quality customers that are fundamentally at a much lower price point than they've historically you know, spent on, on a digital platform or online. Right, right. And that actually segues nicely into my question I wanted to ask you about this concept of autonomous finance. Now, I, I was actually in Dublin recently when you were early in the summer when, when you were giving a presentation and you, you introduced this concept of autonomous finance, which I thought was, was fascinating. So tell us, tell us what you mean by that and why, why it's important. Right. Well, when you look at, you know, consumer finance, I I think there's a confluence of technology, of data, of trust. It's going to allow us in the next five years to have consumers put real trust in a technology and a machine learning algorithm that helps ultimately optimize every aspect of their financial life. And I think, you know, we use autonomous finance as a derivative of driving, but when you think about driving, there's a lot of nuance that comes into play. There's a lot of moral dilemmas that I think people have really talked about. When it comes to finance, it's actually not that complicated in the sense that you're not running over anyone, right? right. <laughs> um, you know, lowering your borrowing costs is, quite, is actually quite an objective function. Maximizing the interest on your assets is also a relatively objective function. Finally, in a spot where, you know, machine learning, where big data and trust can allow all these things to play. So for us, autonomous finance is this notion in five years, we believe some percentage of the population will completely trust the platform to determine what credit cards they should have in their wallet, where their savings accounts should be, and how much to put away for their retirement based on a very clear set of objectives. And, you know, I think, um, you know, banks and financial services companies and fintech companies are finally coming around to that idea. And, you know, one, we think it's possible. But two, what we see in our data is that particularly around the younger generation consumers, you know, they have a lot of stress and anxiety around finances. They don't trust the big banks enough, but they do trust technology companies and they Mm -hmm. do trust, you know, compute and AI. So, I think that's where all these pieces come together. And for us, autonomous finance is this notion that, you know, in five years' time, a machine can help you determine most aspects of your financial life in a way that is meaningfully better and less stressful than the ones that we see today. Right. Now, that makes perfect sense because, I mean, really, the information is out there. If you've you've got a home mortgage, an auto loan or a credit card or whatever it is, and, you, you know, the information is out there you know that there is a credit card you could be approved from or a personal loan that you could be approved from that is literally going to save you hundreds of dollars a month. And it's, it, it, you know, I could totally get that this is where we're going and say, right, just having someone optimize your life so you know, you'll know when there's, you know, you have the information that there is no better deal out there. You have the best deal. And then, then when another better deal comes along or you've paid off, you've paid off something and you want to, and you want to do something else, I can, I, I really get that. I feel like where, you know, it, we should be there now. And, and I know we're not. And I, companies like yours are really, are really leading the way and trying to get us there. But I, I think that, that is, I mean, that's going to be tremendously useful to the consumer. And I think, I guess the issue is, I guess you, you just touched on it, but trust. There's got to be a level of trust that, 
what you're doing is you're not sharing data that is that other people are going to get and going to and they're going to spam you or what have you. So that I guess you know, I guess that's the, is that really the why we're not there today? I mean, why like you said in five years time, what what is stopping us from being there this year? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that it probably comes in uh, a few flavors. Uh, you hit on one, which is trust, right? I think that uh, consumers have a platform believe that it's going to do the right thing. I think this is where we think a lot and spend a lot of time around independence of our offers and making sure that we, you know, we have a North Star around the consumer experience. And we think it makes sense, right? I think from a philosophical, but from just if you're, if you're cynical, then from a financial perspective, a business model perspective, it makes sense to align with the long-term journey of the consumer. So I think that's certainly one aspect. I think another one is scale. What's really challenging in financial services, because the large incumbents are so large, you actually have to have meaningful scale to change the paradigm. So, for right. example, you can't get a large bank to integrate with you unless you have literally tens of millions of customers, because at the end of the day, it's a relatively insignificant amount if you have less. Uh, and given that there's always a crunch for more resources and, and, and you know, more development cycles at each bank, they're not going to prioritize those types of projects. I think, and then lastly, I think data is a big player in this space. So you know, it's not enough that you know that there's a lower mortgage rate. Um, you actually have to go and have all the data elements determine eligibility, all the data pieces to actually facilitate the underwrite. So for example, in mortgages, well, it's not good enough to know that you know, I can go and lower my monthly mortgage payment by $150. Because as a consumer, there's actually quite a bit of friction in achieving that. I know I'm going to go and have to go you know, find my tax filing. I know I'm going to have to go and pull up my W-2s. I know I'm going to have to go and get bank statements. I know that somebody's going to put me through you know, a loan underwriting with Stitch from Freddie and Fannie. And I think those are the areas that we're spending a lot of time investing in because we know that the information and knowledge isn't enough. You actually have to simplify the process to a point where, you know, you can have it as simple as calling a ride share, right? That, I think, will change and fundamentally transform the industry. So I think you need all three of those. And I think it takes time to accumulate the trust, the data, and, you know, the, the integrations of the financial services company. So that's that's really the long answer to why we don't have it today, but we certainly see it on the horizon given, you know, the sort of the emergence of fintech given the change in attitude from consumers. Right. Okay. So I want to take this on a little bit of a tangent. You've mentioned mortgages a bit and I just, the news was came out just last week when we're recording this in, in mid-August and, you know, you acquired the mortgage platform approved. Can you tell us you know, what that means, what, why you did that and a bit, a bit of the story behind that purchase? Sure. So, you know, approved is, you know, a digital mortgage, let's say documentation, um, loan original system platform, if you will. And we think there's some real interesting synergies in, in, the, in the description I described where we know there's a lot of documents that need to be collected as part of the mortgage underwrite. We know there's a lot of pieces of information to determine your eligibility and provide, you know, certainty and simplicity. And what we loved about Approved is that they were on the way of building a lot of these products. But moreover, there's a great team over there that came from Redfin that has a lot of experience in the space. So when we look at those two things uh, together with, you know, Credit Karma's ambition to help consumers across every aspect of our financial life, 
it just makes sense, right? There's almost a trillion dollars, a little more than a trillion dollars of mortgage originations each year. And, you know, for anyone who's gone through that experience, it is tedious, it is emotional, <laughs> it is stressful. And, you know, we think as a platform, we can solve a lot of those things, right? So, you know, a future statement might be, if you did your taxes on Credit Karma, that probably means we have your W-2. It probably means we might have access to your, your bank account um, and to determine whether, you know, your deposit or your down payment is season. Probably means we have good insight into your credit. Probably means we have good insight into your cash flow. Well, all of a sudden, you know, 80, 90% of the work of underwriting a mortgage is actually within our platform. Now, you have to give us permission. You have to let us know that you're in market. But we can solve a lot of the things that drive the most amount of stress in the space. And at the end of the day, we can get you a better loan product, a better, better lower-cost mortgage. So that's where we see the model going uh, in the mortgage space. But it's true of every one of our verticals and how we think about the opportunity, which is you know, a meaningful percentage of Americans are stressed about their financial lives. And we as a platform, as a company, can help reduce that stress by providing more simple experiences, more transparent pricing, and processes that are, you know, second to none. Right. Got it. So we're, we're coming towards the end, but I've, I've got a few more questions I really want to get to. Firstly, what is the scale you're at? Like, how many users do you have? It keeps growing, so I would like to get an up-to-date number. Yeah. So we're a little more than 80 million consumers now, um, you know, that is in the U.S. and in Canada. We've given away a little bit more than, let's see, 2 billion credit reports and scores, and we're able to track, you know, trillions of dollars worth of the consumer debt. So quite a bit of scale here. And we continue to add new pieces of information. So, you know, recently we added, you know, DMV information, household car information within to help consumers with their auto finance. And the goal here is to continue to educate consumers at scale around the key aspects of their financial life. So we continue to add, you know, new data elements that help do that. Right. Right. So you mentioned Canada. I mean, that is that is that the only country you've expanded to beyond the United States? You know, we're in we're basically in North America today. But, you know, we think that finance is that stressful across the world. So we continue to look for opportunities outside of North America. Right. Right. Okay, I'm sure you're sick of answering this question, but I have to ask it because I know people want an, will want an, an answer. Where are you at with IPO plans? <laughs> sure. You know, we think of an IPO as much more of a tool in the tool belt against the goal of helping consumers, you know, uh, make financial progress in the end goal. I mean, I think if it was our end goal, we could have gone public, you know, probably a couple, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really think about investing in the long term. So things like tax, things like mortgage. You know, we really think that this is the way to build a robust platform. And the more that you can do that in the private markets and really invest, I think, you know, you take some of the friction points off of um, necessarily, you know, focusing so much on profitability. Um, but, you know, we have a long-term vision and we're very much pursuing that long-term vision in the private markets. And, you know, along the way, we try to take up some of the better hygiene and the better practices of public markets in terms of the way that we close and making sure that there's strong compliance departments and so on. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll go at some point, but it's not our end goal. Right. Okay. So last question then. What are you working on today that you are most excited about? Well, there's a lot of projects that we haven't announced. So, <laughs> you know, I, I won't get into too many of those. But, you know, I, I think the thing that really is the most exciting is really the continued engagement that we see on Credit Karma, right? 
it seems like every new product that we put out there continues to drive more and more users. And today we see something like 40 million unique members on Credit Karma each month, which makes us one of the largest, if not the largest, you know, sort of, you know, financial services sites in the United States. So we think that is a really big opportunity and sort of gets us thinking about all the things that we could be doing. But everything that we focus on is around that movement of making financial progress possible for our members um, with those three pillars of making things, you know, certain, making them transparent and making them easy. So we have a lot of projects along those lines, and you'll see more and more of those roll out later on this year. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Well, I'll have to leave it there. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Ken. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, see ya. All righty, bye-bye. I want to go back and talk a little bit about that autonomous finance idea that Ken introduced. And it really is fascinating to me because, as I said, the information is out there. We should be able to optimize our financial life in many ways, really, and not just from a lending perspective, you know, credit cards. You should be able to optimize for investing as well and for taxes and all that kind of thing. So I, I think companies like Credit Karma are really giving us the possibility of having this become a reality where we can know that the mortgage that we've got, the personal loan that we've got, the credit card that we've got, that is the absolute best deal for us. And I think we're not there yet. And Ken said it's going to take five years maybe, but I, it's certainly going to be in, in our near future where we can feel confident that we have really the best, you know, the best deals that we can possibly get. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's show was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's coming up on April 8th through 9th, 2019 at Moscone West in San Francisco. Registration is now open and we're also taking speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com slash USA.